it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Of course, watching everything, all the Sunday shows, taking it all in, seeing the balance go between not just Trump 24-7, not just 57 of a 60-minute show about Trump, how about 50-50? Because of what happened on Friday with the special prosecutor. It's the same guy. He's got an expanded job. What exactly it means, Andy McCarthy standing by. I'm talking about women's sports and where we're at right now. Riley Gaines says, I'm not going to be a dentist. I went from the University of Pennsylvania. I'm going to fight uh, for women's sports. Believe it or not, she has to because it doesn't seem like other women are standing up outside people like Martina Navratilova. And, and that's basically it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We'd like to see Joe Biden, a a wonderful and remarkable man, Mm. pass the torch, uh, cement this extraordinary legacy. You don't want him to run for re-election. I believe what's in the best interest of the country. I would like to see a moderate governor, hopefully from the heartland. Wow, 2024 race. The crack is beginning to form in the Biden Democratic Foundation and all GOP hopefuls. Uh, fan out across Iowa over the weekend. The caucus is five months away and the first debate 10 days away. How the polls are looking and why the entire field is looking up at Trump. Number two. He requested there be two independent audits and verifications. Both of them said there was no fraud. You lost the state. We've been saying this over and over again. We counted the ballots three times and it's just creating a lot of tension and a lot of chaos. That was the COO of the Georgia Secretary of State's office, Gabriel Sterling. Trump trial looks to grow to four as the Georgia DA is about to pile on and demand an opening in this 2024 legal schedule. America is no longer shocked by this. If they thought all those indictments were going to weaken Trump, they have actually resulted in just the opposite. Number one. President Biden's handling of the case has raised questions at a time when voters already have doubts about his age and political standing. And he has repeatedly defended him, denying wrongdoing altogether, even though Hunter Biden himself has pled guilty. Special prosecutor, anything but special. Merrick Garland's switch of status for the DA. David Weiss to special prosecutor uh, stuns all sides. What it means for Hunter, Joe, and why the full credit belongs to the whistleblowers. I'll bring in Andy McCarthy on that. Andy, the more I thought about it over the weekend... But I don't have your legal background, obviously. I just thought the whistleblowers have everything to do with this. They were the ones who sit there and said, no, he does not have freedom to do whatever he wants. No, he couldn't bring it to D.C. He could not bring it to Los Angeles. He could not get special prosecutor status. And next thing you know, Garland makes a move. What do you think? Well, I certainly think that it wouldn't have happened uh, and certainly not the way it happened and the warp speed with which it happened without the uh, whistleblowers laying bare what was going on. But I mean, I think it's also been very apparent. They, they, Brian, I think showed uh, in concrete evidence terms uh, what a number of us suspected was going on all along, which is that uh, Weiss's job was to bury 
the Biden case, which was precisely what he was doing. And what happened last week is just another stage in the destruction of the investigation. So if they told Andy McCarthy, uh, bury this case, we had a powerful governor or a powerful president, and you were the DA there, would you have done it? Well, of course not. But I mean, I'm not um, <laughs> I'm not a politically connected person. Here's a good question. Do you think that Jack Smith would have handled this case the way that, uh, that David Weiss, Weiss did? did? You know, absolutely yeah. not. I mean, you know, look, Weiss, uh, I continue to be a broken record on this, Brian, and I apologize if everybody's heard me harangue on this long enough. But, you know, now we're now into the third week, I guess, after the plea deal blew up. There's still no indictment in this case. You know, he never indicted the case. And every day the statute of limitations is running. Do you remember the WhatsApp ad uh, message, that extortionate message that Hunter sent his Chinese partners that we only found out because of Gary Shapley's testimony? Yes, um, when he said, I, look, I, my, my dad's next to me and there's going to be there's go we, we don't forget things. Yeah. Do you know when? That, do you remember when the date of that was? There's no reason why you should. I was looking I at it myself this morning. Yeah, it was July of 2017, and within about a week, the Chinese started to send five million dollars, which was transferred uh, to Hunter Biden over the next uh, six weeks or so. I lay all that out because um, the statute of limitations on tax offenses is six years. The statute of limitations on all other federal offenses, like foreign agency registration violations and money laundering and the like, is five years. Because Weiss has taken no action and has never indicted the case, all that stuff, the uh, extortionate WhatsApp message and the $5 million in payments that followed it, that's all gone. As far as the case is concerned, it's vanquished. Because the statute of limitations is run on it. And it's because Weiss has never indicted the case. And Every when you day, indict, you freeze, right? So when you indict, right. you freeze that's, it. So that would. That's what stops the, the clock, right? Uh, amazing. Uh, so all he, had to do was, all he had to do was indict it. All he had to do was go to the grand jury. It wouldn't have stopped them from making a plea deal or anything else, but it would have at least preserved the case. Uh, so, the, so let me ask you this. Every Republican, and I saw you Friday, instantly said this is a sham. Um, you know, because what it does is it could prevent a lot of these people from showing up in front of the House investigative committee saying, listen, I'm in part of a criminal probe. Uh, but with David Weiss in particular, the negative is the guy's already proven uncommitted to getting justice here, in my view. But the, uh, the, the positive point is that you don't have to wait months for someone to get up to speed on the case because he's been sitting on it for five years. And now it moves to Los Angeles. Some have speculated that it that he has something there. What do you think? Well, it's like what I'm telling you now, Brian. He's he's waited. If he does anything now, why, why is he doing it now? He's waited until the most important parts of the case have vanquished. I mean, all that. Remember, the House last week showed us they're now up to twenty-one million dollars. The lion's share of that money is all in the years that has that that there's you can't bring a case on anymore. Because he hasn't done anything. He's had this case since 2018. You know, we're talking about behavior that went back to 2014, probably before that, too. But the, the real money starts rolling in in 2014 and 2015. He it, intentionally did not bring charges. At one point, Shapley says 
that in the interest of trying to get a global plea agreement, in other words, something that would cover Hunter and give him an immunity bath on everything from 2014 forward, they offered, the defense lawyers offered to waive the statute of limitations. And that instead of taking that deal, Weiss just let it lapse. And that's because the evidence that ties the millions of dollars that came into the Biden family coffers to the time frame when Joe Biden was vice president are those years, 2014, 2015, 2016. So his job was to get rid of that part of the case, and he's done it. Unbelievable. I mean, and you think of it, appointed by Trump, you don't know much about him. Uh, they say he's a Republican. I have no idea. But why would you be intimidated? Just say, listen, what are you going to do, fire me? Uh, that'll be fine. Now, what's, he, what's David Weiss going to do with his political career now? You think he's got a promising career after this? Everyone is uh, disappointed and angry with him. So Abby Lowell shows up in court and two weeks ago, and it turns out they say, we just want to make sure that you know that the case is over after this. And they go, no, it isn't. We could still charge you. He goes, then the whole case is not going to happen. And they so one of the things that happened, they, they went up to the prosecutor. Have you ever seen a precedent to this type of deal with these type of crimes? He goes, no, I haven't. So uh, what did happen? Abby Lowe says, I have no idea what happened to the deal that was offered. By the time we got there, what went wrong? What do you think changed? I think Abby Lowe knows precisely what happened. Look, they didn't write a normal plea deal. They wrote this uh, two-document thing of gibberish, which basically in the plea agreement, unlike every other plea agreement that the Justice Department does, the immunity term is not in the plea agreement. The immunity term is why a defendant pleads guilty. You plead guilty because you're getting protection from being further prosecuted on whatever crimes are described in the immunity term of the agreement. This is the first agreement I've ever seen, and the judge elicited from the Justice Department, they've never done one like this before. The judge had never seen one like this before, where there's where the plea agreement is not written that way. And what happened was there was a second agreement, which was this diversion agreement that applied to the gun, which the judge doesn't have to sign off on, by the way. And it's in that agreement that they put the immunity term. But they did it in, in a very vague way that referred to a statement of facts that accompany both the diversion agreement and the plea agreement. And that statement of facts narrates what Hunter's version of events is from 2014 going forward. Abby's position was that Hunter, on the basis of this agreement, had full immunity from any crime that could be culled out of that five-year, you know, from 2014 to 2019 statement of facts. So their position was this cockamamie thing actually gave him immunity for everything forever, as if he had, like, double jeopardy protection. And I think that's exactly what the agreement was. But when the judge called the Biden Justice Department on it in court, they were too humiliated to admit that. So they said, oh, no, 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 uh, no, he could be prosecuted again. Uh, And, of course, that was nonsense, and I understand why the defense didn't like it. Um, It was nonsense because if you were actually doing a bribery investigation where, you know, like your your proof was there's millions of dollars of bribery and they're trying to hide where it came from. Why would you if you were in the middle of that investigation, why would you ever give a guilty plea agreement to two misdemeanor tax charges 
to one of the main subjects of the investigation in the middle of the investigation when you're looking at felonies worth millions of dollars. Why would you ever do that? No one would do that. Uh, I, I also think there was enhanced interest in it when the whistleblowers came out and told them what was going on behind the scenes. Yep. So, Gabriel, yep. uh, so Preet Behera weighed in on Donald Trump's situation. This uh, Jack Smith is, and you wrote about this, is, is on a breakneck pace. He wants a quick, speedy trial. Usually the defense wants a speedy trial. Uh, and also the judge came out who has worked for the same firm that Hunter has worked for, who is probably known as the punisher for everything she's done in the January 6th attacks, has been a donate, uh, has donated to Barack Obama's campaign. And this morning, we understand Donald Trump attacked the judge's past condemnation of the January 6th riots. So he is not backing off. Here's what uh, Preet Bahara said about where this is going. Bahara, cut 23. To me, the government in its application talked about the, the interest, the public interest in a speedy trial. And the speedy trial does not only benefit a defendant, it says it benefits the public. What is implied in that argument that they didn't state explicitly is, uh, I think is what they mean. If we don't have a speedy trial of Donald Trump, in other words, before the election, there may never be accountability for Donald Trump. There may never be justice because Donald Trump, if he gets reelected, has various means, including by way of self-pardon and by controlling the Justice Department for him. And that Office of Legal Counsel opinion that says you can't prosecute a sitting president. If we don't get a trial, the government is implicitly saying before the election, there may never be one. And the problem with that argument, and there's many in my view, is that the judge keeps saying, I don't care about the election. That has nothing to do with this case. What are your thoughts? Well, I think Preet is right that He's in there in haste to get the case to trial, and that one of the reasons is that if you don't get it to trial and the Republicans end up winning the election, there will never be uh, a case. But, you know, first of all, the real reason they want to get the case to trial is because they hope to get the proof out into the minds of the voters while, you know, during the 2024 election year. I think that's a big part of the reason for doing this. And frankly, it's not the Justice Department's concern whether a case uh, ends up being lost because of because of politics. Um, the right to a speedy trial is a defendant's right to a speedy trial. What the Justice Department is supposed to administer is the due administration of justice, not the swift administration of justice. So if their haste to get to trial under circumstances where Trump is looking at, at four other criminal cases and I think four other civil cases in a, in a single calendar year, if that would undermine his ability to prepare for trial, prepare his defense, and present his defense, which, which Smith is undermining by having already indicted him in another jurisdiction a thousand miles away and trying to rush that to trial as well – then the Justice Department is not doing its job. The Justice Department's job is not swift justice. It's due justice. You have to you have to be respectful of the right of a defendant to prepare for trial. And I don't think they're taking that into account. So they uh, they what they're going to use to make sure that Trump does not divulge stuff that he shouldn't, whatever that criteria is, it's listed, is say we're going to speed up the trial if you keep doing this. And Trump, obviously not intimidated, came out and ripped the judge today on social media. Yeah, well, you know, look, I don't think any time the Justice Department is acting in an extortionate way, that's not helpful. It's not what the Justice Department is supposed to do. If everybody is really tuning out the politics, 
it would be pretty standard, Brian, in a case like this, when you were dealing with a defendant who had a lot of different legal problems and has already other matters scheduled for trial, you wouldn't be pushing this case to to trial. That wouldn't happen to a normal defendant. They're, they may say that they're not paying attention to the election, but the election is the only thing they're paying attention to. They're not, they're not interested in what Trump's due process rights are. They're interested in getting this case to trial. Um, because it helps them politically. And I think the judge, by the way, is dead wrong when she says she doesn't care about the election because it has to give way to the do it, you know, to the uh, administration of the judicial process. That's not true. Nothing, there's no process or right in this system that's absolute. And just like the electoral electoral process has to give, it yep. has to make compromises with the, with the judicial process, so does the judicial process have to compromise. He's uh, Andy McCarthy. Andy, thanks so much. Pick up his column in National Review. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned. Every baby is a miracle from God, worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey folks, it's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations, or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, They've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Yesterday's announcement was, was, was an admission by Attorney General Garland that they have not been truthful. The Department of Justice hasn't been tru truthful with the American people. And, and it goes right to what you just said, is that he did not have the, the, the authority to make the decisions, as he said in that October 7th, 2022 meeting. Gary Shapley talking. He was one of the whistleblowers to Mike Smirconish on CNN saying that this shows what I said was true. He did not have the power to be a special prosecutor. He asked for it, got rejected, even though that was denied. And, and Merrick Garland chose, he's very comfortable lying, said he has never been asked about it. I did not have the power to bring to Los Angeles to have them look at it with the crimes he committed there. He got rejected. The New York Times confirmed that. And then this guy, uh, this guy in D.C. also didn't let him bring the case there. So he's stuck in Delaware for five years, did nothing, looking to sign off on it. But the whistleblowers stopped it. And instead of just Republicans want to be on, beat up on a drug abuser, the whole story about Devin Archer 20 times calling in over the course of 10 years in different deals to say, son, I'm, I'm in support of you. I mean, this is Joe. This isn't just Hunter. It's Joe. And it just amazes me how grudgingly these other networks now have to cover it and how horrible Margaret Brennan of Face the Nation just had to struggle through it. Not one time did she bring up, well, the whistleblowers said something totally different than you're saying, Abby Lowell. What do you say to that? Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Riley Gaines has been all over the news because she's doing something you would think would be a no-brainer, standing up for women in sports. It used to be a big problem is women weren't enough respect in sports. And now that they've emerged, now all of a sudden women uh, are not getting any respect when it comes to the transgender issues and so many other things. She has now launched Riley Gaines Give Up Dental School to launch the Riley Gaines Center at the Leadership Institute. You can follow her at Riley Gaines, and she joins us now. Riley, welcome to Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Brian. How you doing? Good, good. So congratulations on doing this. Not only did you decide to be a voice and take a, a lot of get a lot of blowback because of that, but now you try to launch a center uh, outside Martina Navratilova, have you gotten high-profile support for this? You know what? Actually, I have, but to no one's surprise, a lot of it is private. Um, I have people reaching out to me constantly, uh, both actually male and female, really well-known athletes um, and other high-profile high celebrities, even not just limited to athletes, but as I mentioned uh, a lot of it is through private messaging. Uh, it's a shame because he shows some courage. I mean, I think we're turning the corner of this whole cancel culture thing. I think logic is seeping back into this world. But, you know, again, with your announcement, even over the weekend, you were dealing with protesters, right? Always. <laughs> it's like every day is another group of protesters. Um, I was actually down in Sarasota, Florida, where um, – the Leadership Institute was launching a new location for their school board training facilities, and there were protesters there. And if you think about it, why would anyone be protesting a place where people can go be trained before joining a school board? Uh, that just shows you that they don't care about our children and, and our children's education and, and ultimately this country. Uh, they just want to protest because it, they just want to. I mean, it's it, it, 
lunacy. They don't even know what they're protesting. There's videos of them, and we're asking them, you know, okay, well, what is it that you don't like? And they're, they just respond back with, oh, well, why don't you tell me? It's like you don't even know what you're doing here. So what about in Texas? You had something, you had a, the, a pro, try to figure this out now, pro-transgender activist show up at a Let Women Speak event in Texas? Uh, we were in uh, in Denton, Texas, at the Texas Women's Hall of Fame, where Governor Abbott was. He had a ceremonial signing for um, the Save Women's Sports Act, which, of course, as you can imagine, is a bill that would mean you compete with your biological sex. Um, there were hundreds of protesters. Uh, these people, I mean, they were spitting on us. They were throwing glass bottles at our feet. They were dumping liquids on us. Uh, they were yelling some of the most terrible profanities and obscenities at ourselves, um, which, again, you can't even be surprised. I, I will say I was slightly shocked that, that this was in Texas. You have better hope for places like Texas and Florida, um, but there's pockets of this this craziness really everywhere. So does that make you uh, double and triple down on this? Or does it ever wear you down? It actually is encouraging to, to see protesters, right? Because, and at, at first it wasn't. Uh, I'll be honest, at first it really weighed on me a lot when I saw this. I saw the negative comments and the backlash on social media and all of that. Now you kind of can look at it as a, t- a term of endearment uh, when they can only resort to name-calling or they can only resort to, to literal violence to try and get you to be quiet. It really shows you that you're right over the target. Uh, and these people, they don't waste ammunition on something they don't want to hit. They want to silence us, and they, they have to do it through the means they're doing it through because they don't have truth on their side. They don't have common sense or logic or reasoning or science on their side, um, which, ironically, this is the party that once claimed follow the science, right? Uh, and they're doing just the opposite of that. So where do you, what would you like to see happen? There's going to be trans, transgenders. That's just uh, part of this world. You're not, you're not anti-transgender. When it comes to competing in sports, is there a threshold? I know like track and field is just bandit. Other people looking at testosterone thresholds or amount of time or different things. Uh, you know, what, 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 what type of, you know, a blood test to see if you are truly a woman or truly a man? I mean, is there any criteria that you've set up in your... Right. I'll tell you that there is no solution where women have to compromise anything. Um, no amount of HRT or, or hormone replacement therapy takes away from from being a male. Even if you haven't gone through male puberty, if you've transitioned before male puberty, there are still advantages which exist. Um, so there is no solution where, where women should have to compromise anything. Uh, that being said, I do believe that there is a solution where, where everyone, of course, can play their sport. And you're exactly right. This argument's not anti-trans. It's not anti-anything. It's, it's pro-woman. It's pro-fairness. It's pro-truth. But it's not anti-anything. So everyone should be able to compete and have chances for success. No doubt about that. But that being said, everyone should compete where it's fair and where it's safe. And so I think it varies by sport. You know, there there's it, there's a difference if you're playing an individual sport versus a team sport or, or what that looks like. Um, but I think you either compete with your biological sex 
Or in the case if, if a third category could be creative, created and it would work, it's feasible, it's something that in terms of finances would work, in terms of having enough people playing, having enough people watching, um, you know, the facilities and the resources, if a third category could work, um, sure. Granted, I don't think we live in an ideal world, so I don't think a third category personally is that feasible. Um, but I think competing with your biological sex, it, any look, any decision you, you have to make, it, you have to think about the consequences. And I think transitioning is, is one of those things as well. Uh, Riley, uh, lastly, I just could not be more disappointed in Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino said, I think transgender should be able to compete against us. How do you explain two other elite athletes who who don't seem to understand how the playing field will be unbalanced and how it actually could be dangerous to do something like that? These women, especially Alex and Morgan, I mean, it breaks my heart. Um, they're sellouts, right? Especially if you look at Megan Rapinoe, who's only gotten to the point she's at. I know those women. They've only gotten to the point they're at because of the women's sporting category because of the women's U.S. national team. They know that, too. They know if they allowed men onto their team, Megan Rapinoe wouldn't be where she's at. Uh, but, look, she's done competing. She doesn't have a daughter to defend, so this is a classic case of virtue signaling. And I thought it was honestly so comical um, that after they got eliminated in the World Cup, they were asked, you know, someone asked Megan Rapinoe, what's your greatest accomplishment in your career? And she said, equal pay. And the irony of her saying that, the irony of her fighting for women, fighting for women to have equal access and equal resources and equal pay, and now for her to undermine everything she fought for entirely is almost comical. Here, in fact, here, that it, here it is. Here she's saying that. Is there a memory that stands out to you right now in this moment? Oh, um, I mean, probably equal pay chance um, after the final. Um, and I think you know, they were saying equal pay, but could have been saying a lot of things. I think this team has always fought for so much more, and uh, that's been the most rewarding part for me, of course, playing in World Cups and winning championships and doing all that. But, um, you know, to know that we've used our really special talent to do something, you know, that's really, like, changed the world forever, I think that means the most to me. So you just think it – I mean, she does not understand – how did when you say, okay, I want transgenders to play, that flies in the face of what she just said. You would think you would think she could understand that, right? I, I would imagine anyone with any amount of brain activity could understand how what she's saying contradicts what she's actively advocating for. Um, but again, they don't care. She doesn't care. She would rather be seen as kind. She would rather be seen as inclusive and accepting and tolerant and welcoming and virtuous and all of those things. But let me tell you what, it is not inclusive to ask us to smile and step aside and allow these men onto our podiums, onto our courts, our fields, and our pools, taking our scholarships and our opportunities. That's not inclusive. That's exclusive to the very female athletes who Title IX and the women's sporting category was created to celebrate and recognize and honor and uphold. And it's not kind to ask a young girl to undress in the locker room in front of a fully grown, intact male. That is not kind. And if that's what you think is kind, I, I think there's another conversation that needs to be had because I can tell you how me and my teammates and my competitors felt in that environment. And we felt violated, we felt betrayed, and we felt belittled.
RileyGainsCenter.org. Uh, Riley Gaines, uh, director of the Riley Gaines Center. I appreciate it. And at the Leadership Institute. Riley, thanks so much. Look forward to talking to you again. Of course. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 408 7669 We'll come back. We will weave in some calls to get your comments at BrianKillMe.com. And then we do want to expand on looking at the race in 2024. Everybody was out in Iowa this weekend. Even Donald Trump showed up, even though he's not probably, I'd say it's 70-30, he's not going to be at the debate. We'll discuss uh, the message that we heard and what the polls say. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Do you think you're a likable candidate? I, I think that's a, that's a narrative, but, you know, when you have Trump doing that, he's got so many people that would never vote for him, and I've seen that in Florida. They want a leader. Uh, they want somebody that's going to be in it for them. Uh, and, and our candidacy is really about the, the American people reversing the decline of the country. It's not about me. Uh, it's about them. Uh, that is Governor Ron DeSantis in Iowa. He was heckled. He was heckled some by some Democrats and the other were by Trump supporters. I mean, I was in Nassau County at an event that was really for him. He gave a speech, and there were Trump people there just screaming at him. And I, I was kind of shocked in Nassau County, Long Island. But that's what you got to deal with. If you are not Donald Trump, you're going to get heckled. And if you are Trump, you're, Trump's going to make the most of it, and you're going to be overwhelmed by the crowd. But that's what you get when you win a presidency and then run again and you are the most famous person probably in the world. And now I saw this interesting study that since the indictment started coming down, seven in 10 Republicans, even those who aren't going to vote for him, want Republicans to support him with his legal cases. Think about that for a second. So a guy that was basically within Ron DeSantis and he were in a virtual tie. Right after the election, because so many of Donald Trump's candidates failed, were terrible, like the Mastriano over in Pennsylvania were the worst. I thought Dr. Oz would have been a great senator, but and I thought Herschel Walker would have been good, too. Uh, but it didn't happen. We're in a better campaign. And he didn't put enough money to those guys, too. That also hurt. But at that point, they were in virtually a dead heat with Governor Ron DeSantis. And now it's separated since the indictments. And I believe that this is not the intent of Joe Biden. Nobody would have predicted this. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be sustained, but I'm saying that for him to be this far out front with one legal case, let alone two legal cases, now three legal cases, and then later on today, we're going today or tomorrow, hear about a fourth indictment. This one coming from Georgia. And the big story, in case you don't know, New York Times has it. I wonder how they got it. Will be they're going to bring forward this uh, this prosecutor is going to bring forward the fact that they had uh, fake electors, uh, other electors come in in Georgia, and those people are going to be in trouble. About twenty names are going to be indicted, so that's going to be the story. But as Dan Abrams said, you, there's no reason to have this case. You have the same case with Jack Smith with the electors. What you do is cluttering up a, a calendar, and what you're doing too is you're getting more people angrier and angrier that when Donald Trump says this is pure politics and that's they're going after me because I am the president's main competitor and he's actually beating Joe Biden in most of these battleground states within one point. So now the question is, should Republicans go back at Joe Biden just as hard and go with an impeachment there? I'm not sure. I am not for the impeachment. 
the impeachment inquiry. I just think impeachment stops all of the things that need to be addressed. I think you do an investigation, as frustrating as it is, that's where I would stand. But here is what Chris Christie said that Donald Trump should do, cut 25. So I think all of these things are things people are going to have to process for the very first time in a presidential race. And what I think Republican voters have to ask themselves is two things. First is, is he really the guy under indictment in four different cases, given the conduct that he committed, someone who can beat Joe Biden or any other Democrat in November 2024? And when are we going to stop pretending that this is normal? Well, I'm not saying anything's normal. It's not normal to pursue him to this degree either, to get Jack Smith out of The Hague with this guy's dicey track record to be a pit bull and go after him to this degree. It's not normal to, what they're trying to do is bankrupt a client. Any other person would have been bankrupt. But by running for president, he gets to raise money. And people legitimately are not being duped. I know people that have said, oh, no, I'll contribute to his legal fees. I'm fine with that. And what happens is, as you look at the Trump cases, you're not talking about Tim Scott's economic plan. You're not talking about if Vivek Ramaswamy at 37 years old is really prepared to do everything he says he did or how he made his money and uh, what his background is, what Nikki Haley is capable of doing foreign policy. And now she ran South Carolina and compare that to Tim Scott, who she really put into power when he replaced Jim DeMint um, as senator from South Carolina. And that's when his star started to rise. We're not debating any of that. Like we did when Huckabee was going against uh, Santorum and Giuliani and uh, Mitt Romney and John McCain. We were going back and forth on their policies. But even though it's negative, we're only talking about Donald Trump. And now on the left, Joe Biden has got two special prosecutors. He's got Robert Hur. We don't hear anything about the documents case, but evidently they're trying to arrange a time for him to sit for an interview with Robert Hur. I guess to explain himself, because Robert Hur has had a chance to see the level of intelligence, low level of intelligence, level of secrecy of the documents that they they got from the Penn Center and from his garage. So they got to sit for that. And then the other story is this. Most people are looking at this case of Hunter Biden and no longer have to say those crazy Republicans are trying to nail Joe Biden for something he has nothing to do with. Now they're saying he knew about the business. And now they're saying when he called in to these business meetings or went in person that it was just about the weather. And now they can't have to admit that, well, they were there for a presence to support him. Well, they had recently had a tragedy. Nobody buys it at all. Listen to what Chuck Todd said on Meet the Press, cut six. President Biden's handling of the case has raised questions at a time when voters already have doubts about his age and political standing. Biden brought his son to a state dinner just two days after the plea deal that has since collapsed was announced. And he has repeatedly defended him, denying wrongdoing altogether, even though Hunter Biden himself has pled guilty. Right. Significant that Chuck Todd's saying that. Significant that Jake Tapper's asking real questions of that because you can't avoid it that Margaret Brennan is asking questions. But no one, everyone has a, pre, a, a precursor. Right now, there's nothing to implicate Joe Biden, but it doesn't look good. Right now, nobody thinks that Joe Biden has anything to do with this, but it doesn't look good. And now they're saying, well, if Hunter did something wrong, whether he's on drugs or not, he should be prosecuted. And Republicans don't say that on Trump, okay? One has nothing to do with the other. 
just like Jared Kushner making money after he left office, has nothing to do with Hunter Biden making money while he was in office trading on his dad's name and influence. Totally different things. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. It's a Monday. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. We are the capital for illegal immigrants and for chaos in our streets. And we just are being lied to when it comes to the criminal. Numbers coming down. And by the way, bail reform never happened. So cops are totally dispirited and basically disarmed. Uh, Right now, uh, I hope everyone had a fantastic weekend. We did get some bad news if you're following the illegal immigration front. And Governor Hochul came out and says, I got this air base I'd like to convert for illegal immigrants. Well, it turns out the federal government says, oh, we're in control of that. The answer is no. So they don't pay for what they've done, which is open up our borders. And now we have no place to put them because we're a sanctuary city. Uh, with me in studio is Griff Jenkins. He, uh, if anybody knows about what's happened with illegal immigration, he's at, he's all over it. I don't know anybody that knows more. Uh, and Griff, great to see you. It, it's great to be here, Brian. And, and you're right. It's actually, you know, people kind of forgot about the border and Title 42 came and went and the numbers came way down, but they're back up. And we've got Bill Malusian doing great reporting right now in the Rio Grande Valley. But we're looking at between five and 6,000 a day coming across the entire southwest border. And those are the numbers we are seeing at the height uh, of the chaos. Now, right before Title 42 went away, it was upwards of eight, nine, even 10,000. Because they thought we got to get in there quick. Right. And they thought the the administration was like, look, we're going to have this CBP-1 app where the migrants can do it on their phone, parole themselves legally through ports of entry. It'll bring down the numbers. But guess what? But it didn't work. You know why? Because in life, and you learn this as a parent and as we get older, the greatest source of discontent in life is unfulfilled expectations. And so you had the beacon of America's freedom. And it's a great thing that the rest of the world still believes this is the greatest country and they want to risk everything to get here. But the magnet that's drawing people here right. is that they're caught and released and their unfulfilled expectations that they can just go online and quickly fill it out and get access. They can't because there's such overwhelming numbers. So guess what they're doing? They're doing it the way they used to do, which is to come pay a cartel smuggler, come across, be caught and released. And they're in the U.S. And now we're back where we started. Right. They're making a ton of money. Uh, they also hacked the app, didn't they? They did. In many cases, we have reports of the cartels basically doing it. But you know what? Even before that, the, the I spent time – we did a piece on Fox uh, uh, several months ago. I was over in Piedras Negras uh, across from Eagle Pass and in a, in a shelter there run by a guy named Pastor Hector Silva, the Santa de Vida shelter. You had literally volunteers sitting with migrants with – the CBP-1 app showing them how to do it. And remember, we thought this was going to be mostly Haitians, Venezuelans, Nicaraguans, people that came from countries that had no repatriation, so they needed access to CBP-1 app. I'm doing a live report, literally, and I'm like, and you can see the migrants getting help with the CBP-1 app. Let's see who they're talking to now. So I turned to the pastor. I'm like, who have you got here? And he said, well, I've got these four individuals from Kyrgyzstan. I was Kyrgyzstan? The Kyrgyzstan, unbelievable. And I said, how many countries have you had? And again, this is, you know, halfway through uh, last year. I said, how many, how many countries do you think you had? He said, oh, I'm at 90, 100, just in this tiny little shelter in Piedras Negras. Unbelievable. And on top of that, too, there's 
when they do get here, you don't know who they are. And by the way, we know our country's better than everybody else. And everyone say, okay, this is proof of it. So th- these people aren't going through necessarily harrowing times. They are eligible for refugee status. They're like, well, I'm impoverished. That's not good enough. You know, uh, I, I, I don't have a good life. I want a better life. Well, apply for citizenship. Apply, get a visa. That's not the way it works. Now, in the big picture, could there be easier ways for workers to get here? Absolutely. Could there be better ways to keep our first-round draft picks at Stanford and Berkeley? Absolutely. You know, <laughs> we, we want to keep those uh, great computer minds, the next, uh, the next Elon Musk. I want them to be here. Uh, the next Albert Einstein. Absolutely. Let's get a pathway. But it can't happen. Not now. Here's why. There's no political will in Washington for immigration reform would do things with the worker. The reason being, and legitimately so, Republicans are standoff because they've said, listen, we want enforcement. We want to shut that border down before we talk immigration. This administration says, no, no, enough with no more agents, no more like enforcement's not what we want. We want you know, a deal for DACA right away. Remember when Trump was in, he was offering even more than what they wanted for DACA to get the enforcement and Democrats still wouldn't do it. So there's no political will in Washington to even get there. And yet at the end of the day, you know, Brian, after more than 10 years of covering the border, agent after agent, chief after chief told me the same thing. They said, we need three things to secure the border, infrastructure, manpower, and technology, right? Infrastructure being a wall, manpower being more agents on that line, technology, the drone in the sky, and the the uh, uh, blimp, the, the aerostat that now they ran out of money and had to discontinue, which makes no sense. I digress. But at the end of the day, chiefs began to tell me, they said, you know, if you don't stop migrants coming across illegally, being caught and released, going on Facebook, pointing to all their friends and family back home, hey, I made it, it paid off, it was worth it, then you're never going to stop it. Right. Uh, Yes, uh, success leaves clues. So I see in New York it's hit home. And this is one thing that governor, you know, uh, the governor of Texas, governor of Florida in particular, you know, I can't say that Governor Ducey really did this, uh, by sending them to Kamala Harris's residence at the observatory, by sending the illegal immigrants on bus for free, signed off to New York City, and by sending them to where they want, uh, you are now getting the problem at our border in all our major cities, and deservedly so. In the beginning, they said, come one, come all, and now they say we are overwhelmed. Where is the federal government? And Joe Biden is failing at the border. We heard from a Democrat uh, from New York over the weekend. You know what's so rich in this is – it was a brilliant move that Abbott began to ship the migrants, particularly here to New York City, right? We've got the beacon of America here in New York City. And the hypocrisy that people talk about in sanctuary cities saying, well, you said you were a sanctuary city until you got them, then you didn't want them. But there's a bigger point in that. And that's what's so rich is that ultimately you need – People like Mayor Adams here and other Democrats who are in sanctuary cities to start standing up now saying, hey, you know what? This whole sanctuary city thing we thought out doesn't work. We need to do something different. And it begins with securing the border. It's it's like it's almost it's not hypocrisy so much as it's a a kindergarten lesson for politicians who got off right. on the wrong wrong policy. Absolutely. So I want to talk about uh, something else that you were covering. You you were covering. I'm not sure it was Thursday or Friday or both. Were you in Atlanta? No. Okay. Uh, well, last last week, yeah, I was at the beach in South Carolina playing with sharks and surfing. However, before that, 
had been covering all the investigations. So now it looks like it's going to happen in Fulton County. Uh, but they're getting the barriers ready. They're getting security ready. That they're going to indict the president. And their big hit is we have uh, we're going to put twenty other people up there with them. Going to indict them and. Uh, it's going to be about fake electors, very similar to what they already had out there and what the accusation was in other states, as well as with those phone calls. They said that the electors is bigger than the phone call that Trump gave. Well, and, you know, uh, so going all the way back to last month, I was our reporter in Wilmington when the plea deal fell apart on Hunter Biden. Then in Washington, I covered the arraignment and all things Trump. And, you know, when I was in Pauley's Island, South Carolina last week on mm-hmm. the beach, people at Fox Country in South Carolina, they watch a lot of Fox, love Fox and Friends, you, uh, and in and, and the radio show, I, I did a radio uh, stop there where I think they carry you. Um, but I talked to people on the beach. People say, hey, Graf, how are you? I love your coverage. By the way, what do you think of all these indictments? And the, the, the perception that there's a two-tiered system of justice in this country, it's real. And you're about to find out how real it is as we get into this election. And, you know, I talked to Mark Lauder on Saturday on the Fox News Live that I anchored. I said, Mark, you're a Republican. You've been a strategist forever. You were part of Trump. Now you're sort of uh, in the middle uh, looking at this race. When this indictment comes, the fourth one now in Georgia, does that do it? Does that then all of a sudden increase his numbers so strong that a DeSantis and a Nikki Haley and Tim Scott simply can't break out? He said, man, it's already over before we get there because of the amount of attention that Trump is getting. And Georgia, remember, New York was one of those indictments where even moderate middle of the road people were like, eh, I don't think there's much there. It seems politically motivated. Now look where we are now in Georgia, of all things. Uh, I, I, I think it's only going to increase the numbers. And we're going to be talking about it for days and the merits of it. Well, so you have 2024 right now in Iowa. It's 44 percent for Trump, 20 percent for DeSantis ticked up slightly. And Scott's got nine and Vivek Ramaswamy's got five. Uh, the uh, national poll is overwhelming. 53% for Trump, 14 for DeSantis, seven for Ramaswamy, and then Mike Pence with five. And they say this was a virtual dead heat until the indictment started rolling in, especially Bragg. And we all know how weak case that is. Bingo. And I, I think I buried the lead there in my last answer. So Iowa isn't necessarily a, uh, you know, make it or break it Republican state. Georgia is. Remember, Republicans lost two Senate seats there. The battleground state that may, the election may come down to is Georgia. And so if you know that every time this former president gets indicted, his numbers go through the roof, if you're a Democrat operative, you can't be hoping that they throw the book at him in Georgia because it's clearly going to be uh, a lot of momentum for Trump in Georgia. You know, you know, what's so interesting is on 2024, I dismissed Dean Phillips, a little known congressman uh, from Minnesota. And I said, well, Dean Phillips is coming out. He might run against uh, Biden. I said, who cares? Right. But the more you think about it, the more you listen to him. He basically is the guy who decides to lead the charge. There's a lot of people behind it, but just don't have the courage to speak up. Listen to this exchange with Chuck Todd and tell me if you're starting to think with these numbers coming kind of equal and with Trump having the trouble he's in, if Democrats are really thinking about somebody else, cut 27. I would like to see Joe Biden, a, a wonderful and remarkable man, yeah. pass the torch, uh, cement this extraordinary legacy. You don't want him to run for re-election. I, be- I believe what's in the best interest of the country. I would like to see a moderate governor, hopefully from the heartland, from one of the four states that Democrats will need. So let's see, Gretchen Whitmer. 
You'd like to say her, or is it Tim Walls, your home state governor, Tony Evers? Help me out here. You just said a few names I think would be great. Josh Shapiro. There are a number of people. J.B. Okay. Pritzker. I want anybody who wants to run, Joe Manchin, Cornell West, mm -hmm. any of the governors. You want them in the primary. In the primary. That's why we have primaries, because that doesn't undermine the likelihood of returning, in this case, a Democrat to the White House. So that is the key. Enter the primary, right. my friends. Everybody who is on the bench, meet the moment. Don't wait five years. We need you now. So, so it was kind of interesting. They said, you know, who else? He said, well, they don't want me to mention names, but they're ready to go. So DeSantis and Pritzker and these guys and, and Shapiro. I don't know if Shapiro's ready to run. He's only been doing the job for a year. Maybe Chris Christie would lose it. <laughs> Governor Bashir. Yeah. Yeah. The, the key uh, name, Murphy. Key Murphy name here, Gretchen Whitmer. Gretchen right. Whitmer has a lot. And I think Dean Phillips, you know, to your point, he's been consistent. And Democrats, look, there, I also talked to my folks in South Carolina just, you know, trying to take a pulse about, like, are you disappointed that it's going to be Biden and Trump again? And overwhelmingly, they said yes. And, you know, you got a lot of the, this is all we've got. So if these indictments are going to be the gasoline fueling Trump, the Democrats are going to have to find some way to energize that base. And it's going to take a Gretchen Whitmer, I guess Gavin Newsom's uh, too far left. But, I mean, he's doing everything right, if you think about him right. going on Sean Hannity and, and uh, Green to have debates. He's got three super PACs rolling. Yeah. But I mean, just keep in mind, too, this sort of thing called failure. He's a failure as a mayor of San Francisco. He's a failure as governor. He was almost recalled. When he wasn't recalled, they act like that was a victory. Now, uh, he looks the part. That's it. So, And Governor <laughs> Whitmer, I thought she should have been disqualified in Michigan. And you talk to Tudor Dixon, the thing that Republicans have to come to grips with is abortion. They do not know how to message it. They said we were we were routed because of abortion. That message Zero weeks, six weeks is not the – it might be uh, your message. It might be your neighbor's message. But right now it's not where America is. And at what point do Republicans say to themselves, this is where – this is what we believe? Do you know what's amazing? Like in real time just now, you were talking about abortion and the challenge Republicans have. And it warmed me. I actually was happy because we haven't talked about any issues, the economy, abortion – Healthcare, it's gone. It's not even a part of this it's, conversation it's, it's, it's until you bring it up and just because it's it. all indictments and investigations and all this other stuff that honestly doesn't affect Americans. So I watched uh, Fareed, uh, uh, Fareed Zakaria, and he came out and said, the, you know, Joe, Joe Biden, this is how detached he is. Joe Biden's board of policies have worked. Excuse me. And the economy is rolling. <laughs> really? But he said the only problem with the economy is. Their deficits, it doesn't make any sense. We have these huge deficits. And then his guest said, well, yeah, it does. All the spending we've done for two years. <laughs> now the spendings. We are, we are, can you imagine being $100 overdrawn every month and being a family? How about 1.6? We used to be $500 billion. We thought that was a – so $1.6 trillion over budget. Yeah. And we think the economy is going great. That should be a disqualifier. Bidenomics is great. It's working. By right. the way, the Inflation Reduction Act might have won't rethink the PR on naming that thing. Well, he even said it's a joke. <laughs> I should have named something different. What planet are we on? Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. Griff Jenkins is here. He's going to be doing outnumbered unless something goes terribly wrong. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Yesterday's announcement was 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 an admission by Attorney General Garland that they have not been truthful. Department of Justice hasn't been tru- truthful with the American people, and, and it goes right to what you just said: is that he did not have the 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 authority to make the decisions, as he said in that October seventh, twenty twenty two meeting. Gary Shapley, whistleblower number one talking to Mike Smirconish over the weekend, saying, what does it mean that David Weiss has now got a special prosecutor status? And he goes, it shows he wasn't being truthful when he said Merrick Garland or David Weiss, that they have all the power that they wanted. They could have gone anywhere they needed. That's not true. Griff, you're going to be outnumbered at the top of the hour. This is going to be one of your talking points. You have a different take. A lot of Republicans down that David Weiss has picked the same guy that punted on the case and almost cut the worst deal ever for a prosecutor. It was the worst deal ever. And under judge blew it judicial up. review, it fell apart. And we were all watching it in real time going, my gosh, the Farrah stuff, the judge asking about it. Listen, Republicans say that Weiss is a, a horrible pick, the worst pick, because it shows, as the Shapley, the IRS whistleblower said, it validates what they were saying. But my take is different because if you look at the special counsels we've covered, it has an end result, and that is a record of history because that special counsel, in this case David Weiss, is going to have to write the report for all Americans to see. They say that they don't show it. Can you imagine doing a special counsel and never showing the public? Not going to happen. So we're going to see it. So we'll find Just like out. like we saw the Mueller report. Barr looked at it first. Barr looked at it, right, and then they'll go out with it. But ultimately we'll find out what were the facts that they knew. What were the decisions that Weiss made and what was the scope of what he investigated? And here in this case, even the mm. Republicans, I understand, justifiably say this is the worst guy because of the deal he tried to cut. But at the same time, he's also the guy that got caught trying to do it. So now there's more pressure on him. So if Weiss takes over this investigation and gives us an end result that shows he was unfair and biased and went easy on him, then that will be something we need for the historical record to prevent it from happening again. I think you doubled your audience on Outnumbered because knowing that you're just scratching the surface on the passion and depth that you know about the Hunter Biden situation. It's Monday. Let's go. All right. Let's go. one are you, Tom Brady? one 408 You're called, man. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I've worked in, in dozens of U.S. attorney's offices across the country. There are hundreds of prosecution recommendation reports. To, to say that, that I haven't had uh, disagreements with uh, prosecutors in the past would, would just not be accurate. But, you know, there's always that professional give and take. And uh, I've, I've just never experienced uh, and I've always been able to maintain relationships with, with, the, with the assigned prosecutors where if there's a disagreement, that, that goes along with a discussion and, and you have a discussion and you explain each side and, uh, you know, sometimes the investigators lose and that's, and that's fine. And that happened uh, uh, countless times on this case. It wasn't that we, we weren't able to do one thing or two things. It was the pattern that was created and it just, they just cannot deny um, once the facts come out that uh, it was just that pattern over and over again that provided that preferential treatment. And there are some sensitivities um, that that this is a political figure and that the subject was an attorney, right? But that doesn't mean that because you're a political figure or an attorney that you're allowed to get away with a crime. There are just additional steps that you have to take uh, to, to get approvals to do these types of, uh, like, like for a search warrant, for example, 
Uh, that was Gary Shapley in July, late July, about why he came forward and what the frustrating part was about the investigation. When people tried to marginalize the whistleblowers who come out credible with this great background, who have a lot to lose and very little to gain, no promotions, no cases, you become an outcast, no one wants to have lunch with you or talk to you because you think you're doing the right thing. Well, why would you come forward? And people say, well, there's a natural tension between investigators and the prosecutors because they're the ones who got to bring it forward. The investigators get attached to a case and they always want to be more aggressive. No one's buying that. Yeah, that's something to keep in mind, but that's not the dynamic here. That's a talking point that became very apparent, too. So Alan Dershowitz on over the weekend said before everyone gets really upset that David Weiss is going to continue on this case just with a different status. He said he noticed the case has moved to Los Angeles, which could mean they have found something out there with some of his antics of Hunter. Maybe how it relates to Joe. Other people have called it just a flat out camouflage and cover up. Now people fear that when Comer asks you to appear in front of his committee, they'll say, hey, I'm part of an investigation. I don't want to jeopardize that criminal investigation for you, or I don't want to jeopardize it for myself. And have someone said that I said something different to you than I did to somebody else. That's what you wonder if it's going to stop everything. But I think it's also interesting is when people talk about the meetings that Hunter had and that in the beginning they were saying his dad had no part of it, no idea about it. Then they say his dad knew about it but was never a role, played a role in his business. And then you find out he said, well, once in a while he'd call and he just happened to be at a meeting. Now we find out he called in 20 times in 10 years. And then you find out that he went to Cafe Milano, a place that he evidently loved. He went there uh, to meet with a Burisma executive. He met there to meet with a Kazakh oligarch and a former prime minister. He always loved to go there, and he was there in full view. The whole time, were they just talking about the weather? That's the problem. When you say stuff like that, it makes people who have any semblance of a conscience get more aggressive. For example, now that Weiss is in this new category, it had to be covered on the Sunday shows a lot. Here's Jake Tapper, Cut 7. I believe he had previously argued publicly that he had the right to do whatever he wanted and then the whistleblowers said well behind the scenes weiss was complaining he couldn't do that he wasn't able to do that and the justice department and weiss denied what the whistleblowers were saying but this move makes it seem as though well maybe the whistleblowers were right maybe what they were alleging is true and he didn't have the ability to charge wherever he wanted to charge and now he does so i I do have a lot of questions about that, and I do think some of the political uh, questions being raised by Republicans uh, have merit. Wow. You, uh, Allison, do you believe we're at this point right now where Jake Tapper is saying I have to, what they believe they have merit? And I don't believe he necessarily takes marching orders from people, but I remember reading in the Times a couple of weeks ago it's okay to have questions about Hunter. What? It's okay to have questions about Hunter? Is that really a story? Is that a whisper in the back room of a Democratic operative? But that's a story where you could say condemn him, but then you just quickly say what Hunter was doing is the same thing as Jared Kushner. Same thing as Ivanka Trump. But we know they're different things. I mean, I would just say it's it's refreshing that people are finally like talking about how just this stunk the high heaven the whole time. Do you think it's on some level they're like, listen, make make put the heat on now? Because if we wait too much longer to turn the heat on, we're not going to be able to get rid of them. But, you know, from Pritzker, which, by the way, how an Illinois governor who's done nothing but what's their number one city going to the toilet should be a national candidate besides his wealth, 
which you, uh, from, uh, from a diet plan, which I don't think he had anything to do with. How that is, Governor Gavin Newsom looks the part, has got a national name, doesn't kill Trump, but that's where the good part ends for him. Everything else, he's not popular. He won't be popular when people look at what he stands for. But I may be the governor of Kentucky, maybe the governor of Pennsylvania, the governor of Colorado. I, you know, it's one of these people might step forward. If you listen to James Carville, he says he never remembers the bench so so deep for Democrats. I don't know about that. Uh, here, here's Dan Goldman, the disgrace of a New York congressman who was in these a lot of these meetings with Devin Archer and others. Listen to Jake Tapper question him. Cut eight. I understand this is a dad talking about his son, but it's also the president of the United States talking about a potential defendant in a case that his Justice Department is prosecuting. Also, he was about to plead guilty to some things that he did wrong. Does the president need to stop publicly saying his son did nothing wrong? Well, look, I think the president has been very clear that he's going to let the process play out. But the fact of the matter is that President Biden, uh, there's been no evidence to show that he's been involved in anything. <sighs> Is he ridiculous? If they told me I had to say that, I'll go. Yeah, you book somebody else. I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep a low profile. And that's what happens when you have guys or women that always speak out, and then they just go MIA. It's because they they know they can't speak about this. It's so bad, or they're so compromised that if they come out and speak speak out, then they're going to look bad. Dan Goldman turned down a few appearances. That's those statements. Are laughable because we all know that Hunter Biden sat there on a WhatsApp phone call in text message and said, my dad is sitting right next to me and he's angry. And we have long memories and we're Biden's and I want to hear from you directly. I don't want to hear from any other surrogate talking to a Chinese official with direct links to the Chinese government. And next thing you know, they get their multi-million dollar deal. So James Comer sees what happened with David Weiss. He was caught by surprise too. cut nine. Well, this is a joke. All that Merrick Garland did was validate the point that many Republicans have been making that uh, the Department of Justice was weaponized. Look, I've been very vocal in saying we didn't need a special counsel. I've been on the other side of a lot of my colleagues in the House. The, the one reason I would give for not wanting a special counsel was what we've seen. The fact that I have no confidence that Merrick Garland would appoint anyone credible. I never dreamed he would do as bad as he did with Weiss. He put the same guy in charge. Let's see if Weiss wants to change his legacy and just go at it and just see where it lands. You know, and and I'm just fascinated to see a guy like Abby Lowell, has got all this experience, say that he could not believe that when asked, when the judge asked, does this mean the court case is over two weeks ago at the hearing? He said, Abby Lowell says, yeah. And they said, no, it isn't. What do you mean? Uh, for foreign business dealings, we could still go after that. Well, I can't sign it there. To me... I'm thinking it's a bad attorney because now I know I'm going to trial. So the comments yesterday, this is nothing. They say we're we're doing nothing but pushing forward on a trial. Nothing's going to stop us from having this remedied with the trial. So I don't know how that helps him to put Hunter Biden on the stand unless he's going to say a whole bunch of I don't knows and here's a bad painting. Do you want to give me five million dollars from it if you are a donor of my dad's cut ten? Not only did Weiss drag his feet for five years and try to negotiate a sweetheart plea deal with the president's son, he also let the statute of limitations run out. 
That was one of the biggest complaints from the Irish whistleblowers when they testified before the Oversight Committee was their frustration that they knew they were coming up on a hard stop as far as trying to prosecute the president's son for obvious crimes of tax evasion and violation of the Foreign Agents Registration Act, but Weiss intentionally let the statute of limitations run out. We also learned in that testimony, Trey, that uh, the Irish whistleblowers never knew about the 1023 form from the FBI that Bill Barr handed over to Weiss that alleged both Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were involved in a bribery scheme in Ukraine, even though Weiss knew the IRS was investigating suspicious wires from Ukraine. So we have no confidence in Weiss. We have no confidence in Merrick Garland. This will not deter our investigation. We're going to continue to move forward and try to present the American people with the truth about this family. Yeah, uh, and it would be good if somebody else would be asking questions about that, at least some people on the right now. I'll give you the, I'll give you the apt comparison. How many people came out against George Bush, especially against the war? I remember Senator Luger would come out hard against him and say, you know, I'm upset about how this is going, the tactics used and, you know, the, the armored vehicles and maybe we can't win and those things. Those are Republicans. I never see these Democrats come out against a sitting president more than a line or two. And I'll give you another example. We have how many never Trumpers do you know? Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger. Um, there's there's countless never Trumpers who are no longer in politics or, you know, uh, or just decided uh, that they don't want to run anymore or they could lose an election. But you never hear a never Biden. This guy's terrible. He's too old. He's detached. Do you know over the weekend and even as early as as late as yesterday, when asked about what happened in Hawaii with the, the loss of life at 93 now, Billions of dollars in devastation, water pressure so low, firefighters couldn't fight it, and then you have a lack of communications. One of the uh, was is one of the allegations, and then you have they said the grid system actually blew up, which caused a mile a minute to just be burned, and people in between burned to smithereens. So, this is a big deal. Do you know what the president said? No comment. I mean, this is nuts, Senator Schumer. Should rip them. How many times did McConnell go after Trump and Trump go after McConnell? It's a much more reality-based relationship. So now this is going to be big for the White House. But as Griff mentioned earlier, nobody's talking about the issues. No one's talking about abortion. Nobody's talking about the wall. Nobody's talking about illegal immigration. No one's talking about our deficit, $1.6 trillion. Robert Costa, CBS correspondent, political correspondent, said this. Cut 13. Inside the White House this weekend and inside the Biden campaign, I've made a lot of calls, and it's evident that they don't welcome what's going to be potentially a drip, drip, drip of developments on the Justice Department front with Hunter Biden. But they see it ultimately as a distraction, not something that's going to be a burden for President Biden's campaign. There is a real church and state in how they look at this inside the White House. The Justice Department is something they can't talk about, they won't talk about, but they will talk about the House Republicans and their investigation because they believe Republicans are going to overstep here. Well, there's going to be a press conference, a joint press conference later in the week. The president's got a distinguished visitor. I totally forgot who it was. I think on Thursday, at which time you think somebody would yell out a lousy question like, 
What do you know about your president's sons dealing with overseas business operations? Why would you walk up and introduce yourself on speakerphone or in person 20 times over 10 years with Devin Archer? What do you say when Tony Bobulinski says he met with you at the Beverly Hilton? Will he ever get questions like that? I'll talk about Trump's tribulations and trials, too. 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, the reality is, and, and these are the facts, I mean, 27,000 people just decided to skip the top of the, of the election. They didn't vote for, for Biden or Trump. About 35,000 people who requested absentee ballots in the primary election as Republicans did not vote at all in the general election because Donald Trump demonized voting by absentee. And we were still in a COVID crisis, so there's a lot of senior citizen voters who just didn't do it. So, and that is the waste uh, of time. And the theory, no one could figure out how Kemp could win so easily and Trump could lose Georgia, and he was up by a lot. I mean, the main thing is with that election is that Donald Trump had this lead because on uh, on many of these states, they do not count the mail-in ballots before the election. They'll take in the day of voting, and then they count the mail-in ballots. And he watched a big lead disappear in uh, in Arizona and Georgia specifically. Uh, Ohio, he maintained it. And maybe I think he lost, felt like he lost Michigan and was going to win it. And that was Gabriel Sterling, who's going to be a witness for uh, the in front of the grand jury uh, in Fulton County because they're about to bring some charges. So they're about to bring some charges. Why else would they set up security like this? As Dan Abrams said, this is redundant. They already have similar charges with Jack Smith on January 6th. They don't read to bring this up about the electors, but that's the magic bullet. Free the Times today. There's fake electors that are going to be indicted, too, maybe 20 overall. He went on to say this, cut 22. We keep on saying this over and over again. The one other thing that we've learned in, in public reporting on this is that he requested there be two independent uh, audits and verifications by outside groups. And both of these paid $600,000. And both of them said there was no fraud. You lost the state. We've been saying this over and over again. We counted the ballots three times. He lost this state. And he continues to say he didn't lose it. And it's just creating a lot of tension and a lot of chaos. It's completely unnecessary. I mean, there's real issues in this country. Anybody talking about the 2020 election is going to lose the general election. You're not gaining any voters by doing that. Right. So Fannie Willis will come with indictments this week because early as yesterday, most likely Thursday. Uh, she's going to be talking about a voting systems breach in Coffee County, quietly emerging as one of the big focuses. Everyone's focused on the tapes, and they should, but there's a big pushback on the tapes from the Trump side. Trump says, yeah, the, my my votes are out there. Just go find them. You don't have to find every one. Just find enough that I need to win the state. He didn't say make them up, write them up, rip them up. He said find them because he believed it's out there. Now, what I think is comical and ridiculous is when people say he knew he lost. Number one, what do you mean he knew he lost? Anyone around him knew that he thought that he won. I know people that toured with him that said he would never stop talking about how mad he was at people that would say that he lost because he does not believe he would lose to Joe Biden, who didn't even campaign. Look, he has a lot more respect for Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. If he had lost to them, he would understand it. He could not understand losing to Joe Biden. So the January 6th committee destroys all their work. So this was supposed to help Trump out because there's a belief, and I, and I think it's a strong one, 
that there is some pushback on Nancy Pelosi and company who ignore the request for 10,000 National Guard troops who had an idea that this would take place and still let this happen and did not secure the facility. So January 6th happens. Nancy Pelosi was hiding out. But the but all the information that we paid for, for them to research and put together that sham one-sided trial, they got rid of it. Who would ever get rid of it? How would Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, as much as they hate Trump, sign off on destroying documents? And if you really believe all that stuff about Trump looking bad, the more information they found out, the worse he looked. Okay, let him then turn over all the information. I mean, we had it. Hillary destroys cell phones. The tech guy ignores the subpoena, her tech guy, in her documents case. They found more information with Wiener on his laptop. And nobody was talking about indicting. They it definitely affected the election. I understand it, but not indicting. Now the president's looking at four, four indictments. Brian Kilmeade Show, so glad you're here. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. We're back in action today on this Monday. Uh, of course, you can follow us, BrianKilmeadeShow.com. You can listen live and get the podcast that way. Uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn is here in studio. That's going to be great. Uh, and, of course, we'll hear from you at one 408 7669 We have a lot to discuss today. With the, the President of the United States had a long weekend again for a change. And uh, after spending a weekend on the beach, walking past reporters who asked him to comment on the devastation in Hawaii, he actually said no comment. He will be back in Washington in about 20 minutes and maybe get to work around noon. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I would like to see Joe Biden, a a wonderful and remarkable man, pass the torch, uh, cement this extraordinary legacy. You don't want him to run for re-election. I believe what's in the best interest of the country. I would like to see a moderate governor, hopefully from the heartland. Yeah, you believe this? That's Congressman Dean Phillips does not want to see Biden run again. Is the crack beginning to break in the Biden Foundation on the left and on the right? A whole bunch of hopefuls fan out across Iowa. They're all looking up at Donald Trump. Number two. He requested there be two independent audits and verifications. Both of them said there was no fraud. You lost the state. We've been saying this over and over again. We counted the ballots three times. And it's just creating a lot of tension and a lot of chaos. Gabriel Sterling, the chief operating officer of the Georgia Secretary of State office, talking about Donald Trump. On the trial, looks to grow to four, at least four major legal cases for him, as the Georgia DA is about to pile on and demand an opening in his 2024 legal schedule. America no longer shocked by that. If they all thought all these indictments were going to hurt Trump, they're actually helping. Number one. President Biden's handling of the case has raised questions at a time when voters already have doubts about his age and political standing. And he has repeatedly defended him, denying wrongdoing altogether, even though Hunter Biden himself has pled guilty. Special prosecutor to anything but special. Merrick Garland's switch of status for David Weiss, the special prosecutors, stuns all sides. What it means for Hunter and why the full credit belongs to the whistleblowers that were even at this place and that the initial case and the bad deal blew up. Uh, Senator, welcome back. 
Thank you. Good to be with you. So much going on. Yes, indeed. And I was just it's just so interesting. I was talking to Griff Jenkins. I, one of, I think you'll agree, a fine reporter. He said, you know, no one even talks about issues anymore. You know, we talk about the border. We talk about abortion. We talk about uh, the economy. But that's all pales in comparison to the trials, investigations on both sides. It's sad because it doesn't help our country. Well, what people want to know is what actually happened. And in the case of the Bidens, they want to know, did they construct these deals? Were they doing business with foreign governments? Were they taking these payments and things that are alleged? And, you know, Brian, if the Bidens wanted to clear the air, they should come out and say, okay, This is what happened, and we don't think we did anything wrong. Or we should see, uh, and I think this is a good thing for the House to be moving forward with impeachment because they'll have subpoena power. Right. And actually subpoena this, make it available for the American people so that they can see what Biden's children and brothers did on his name, trading on his name. Right. So I I think it's good for that to, that information to come out, and I think it's appropriate that the House move forward and that we find out, did they take bribes? Did they take money from China? Did they take money? Are there nine other Bidens that are involved in getting this money? So you, how do you feel about David Weiss being picked as special prosecutor? You know, I'm one of those that said uh, – some time ago, we need to have a special pri- prosecutor looking right. at Hunter and Joe Biden and Biden Incorporated. Uh, but David Weiss has proven that he's a collaborator, not a prosecutor. He's not a special counsel. He collaborated with DOJ and came up with this sweetheart deal for Hunter Biden that a judge threw out and said, hey, wait a minute, you can't do this. There's no precedent for ever constructing a deal like this. So we know where David Weiss stands. And so it's inappropriate for him to be the one that is named as an independent special counsel. So Abby Lowell is the attorney for Hunter Biden, who could not answer the question as Joe being investigated on Friday at CNN. But here's what he said yesterday on CBS Cut 4. Look what happened on July 26. One of the possibilities is the prosecutors stood up and decided for lots of reasons that might be apparent to the viewer they didn't like what people were saying about the deal they approved. Mm-hmm. And so I can't answer that. What I can say is that as recently as in the last week or two, they made a filing at court, they being the prosecutors, yeah. which called it a bilateral agreement between the parties. And if it's a bilateral agreement between the parties, it's an agreement that's in effect. But the judge said, I've never, this is unprecedented. He said, yes. And by the way, this case is over. Uh, the Abby Lowe says, this case is over. You're not going to charge him. He said, no, no, I'm not, I'm, I still might charge him. So they, the whole thing blew up because they didn't even stand behind the bad deal that they brought forward. And now yeah. he's moving into Los Angeles. Alan Dershowitz said last night, the fact that the case is moving to L.A. shows he's got new information. Are you encouraged by that at all? I, I'm going to be encouraged when I start to see some more transparency around this. And I thought it was interesting that they move the case to L.A. I think it's going to be interesting and probably insightful, Brian, to find out what new information they have that would cause the change of venue in this. Right. The only good news on this is, you know, if you brought in somebody else, how long is it going to take him to ramp this up? How many more portions of the cases in his dicey background would evaporate because of 
Um, statute of limitations. Statute of yeah. limitations. So right. instead of a, a, a guy or a woman coming out of the woodwork, you do have somebody that's been there a while. But if it wasn't for the whistleblowers, they wouldn't. They would not even. They would have cut that deal. Would have been done. That's it. The whistleblowers right. changed all this. Yes, and thank goodness for Chairman Comer and Senator Grassley, who brought that information forward. From the whistleblowers and that the whistleblowers stood up and said, hey, we want to tell our story. And they stood by what they had said and they were very credible. And there again with the House moving to an impeachment proceeding and having that subpoena power. You making want them to certain, do that? Yes, making certain that a, that David Weiss as a special counsel does not construct some other type of uh, sweetheart deal or slow walk this or try to hide that information. The American people deserve to know what happened. I want you to this. talk about Trump too, uh, but yeah. I want you to also, Peter Schweitzer is one of the first to come out and talk about this. In his book two years ago, here's what he said yesterday or on Friday night, cut 14. Really, from the beginning, Joe Biden is the center of all of this. Um, think when Hunter starts this business, Rosemont Seneca, that does the deals in China, that gets him hooked up in Ukraine. He starts it in 2009, just months after his father becomes vice president of the United States. Up until that point, Sean, he had been a lobbyist for entities in Delaware lobbying his own father. So the entire business enterprise was centered around his father's elevation to the vice presidency. And then you look at the deals in China. Those deals get secured days after he shows up in China, where? On Air Force Two with his father. So you cannot separate the Biden businesses from Joe Biden's political position in power. So that's the problem. There's no direct payment center, Blackburn, that says, hey, Joe, here's your $20 million deposit slip. So Democrats go, well, or people go, I see no problem with Joe. Might not like it. It might not look good, but I don't see no criminal activity here. But as uh, Jonathan Turley tells me, he said, when you're 80 years old and you start getting money, you don't put it in your name, especially when you shouldn't be getting it. You fanned it out to those nine kids. And when it's time to pay your bills, your kids pay the bills. And guess what we have? Text messages from Eric Sherwin to uh, to uh, to Hunter Biden saying, what do you want me to do about your dad's phone bill? What do you want me to do about your dad's home repairs? That's exactly how it would work, wouldn't it? And that is why people are saying, let's get to the bottom of this, because the shell companies, and you bring up the good point of no direct payments, but you look at the shell companies, you look at the money that went to Rosemont Seneca, you look at the positioning of Hunter Biden and Devin Archer on the Burisma board, you look at how they shielded Burisma, the firing of the prosecutor in Ukraine, and with all of that activity and all of that exchange of money and all of these shell companies, people want to know, were they taking bribes? And was Joe Biden an active participant in this? And the Biden family ought to want to clear their name if they are not guilty. So when people say, well, well I don't know what happened with Hunter, and with Joe, but what is the difference between Jared Kushner getting a billion-dollar deal with Saudi Arabia now that he's left and Ivanka Trump getting patents in China? Do you see a difference? I do see a difference because uh, the Kushners have had ongoing con- uh, business uh, concerns, and they set those aside. 50 years. 
they served they served uh, the country. Ivanka had trademarks and patents before she went to the White House, and after their service, then they have gone back to their businesses. I, I, I to me, it's it's very obvious. Kushner would never want into government. He went in there to help out. If he was saying, hey, do the Abraham Accords, and then would you do me a favor and invest in a building? It would be a problem. Yes, that but would when, be. But when you get done with government where you're making money for them is not a lot of money, $200,000. You're traveling around the country, put your kids on. You, you don't say hello to your kids for four years. Uh, plus you have that legal problems, which, by the way, unsub. They should unsubstantiate. He had nothing to do with Russia. And then you want to go back to business. And if your reputation improves and they want to get you involved in some type of uh, operation with another country, as long as there's nothing on the books, there's a problem with that. I understand it. But Kushner has no interest in going back into government. Ivanka wants to market her products. You could argue that they've been more hurt than helped by what they've done. That's right. But if there was rules that says after you leave government, there's going to be six months before you can do a deal, then they, they would have waited. So yeah. one one's doing it in office, on his name, on his influence. The other one's going back to what he was doing before. Before, that's right. And I think that's the important thing. You can look at Ivanka Trump and say this is the product line she had. This is the business she had established. Right. And you're right, Brian. Her brand, what it suffered while she was there uh, in public service. And now once she separated from public service and her time was up, she has gone back to her business. So you are for an impeachment inquiry. Congressman Darrell Issa said this, cut 19. Is it premature? To me it is. The inquiry is critical because, remember, the conspiracy of the vice president, now president, Joe Biden, might include many other people and only through a subpoena that can go anywhere, anytime, and be respected quickly by the court, can we get there? Remember, if not for one federal judge, this entire investigation would have been wiped out by that settlement as we speak. So how do you feel about him saying not yet? I think it is time because with the announcement of the special counsel, I think it's important for the House to have that subpoena power and to be able to continue the investigation that they have been doing and the impeachment inquiry gives them that opportunity. So the the 45th president of the United States wants to be the 47th, and he got in trouble with Alvin Bragg. We know th- most people think that's a ridiculous case. The documents case with Jack Smith is next, and now we have a January 6th uh, committee, which is an indictment there, and now we have Fulton County is going to indict him over phony electors and a tape that he uh, left for the, uh, Brad Raffensperger, who was the Secretary of State at the time. Here's Gabriel, Gabriel Sterling, uh, the Chief Operating Officer for the Georgia Secretary of State Office, Cut 21. Well, the reality is, and, and these are the facts, I mean, 27,000 people just decided to skip the top of the, of the election. They didn't vote for, for Biden or Trump. About 35,000 people who requested absentee ballots in the primary election as Republicans did not vote at all in the general election because... Donald Trump demonized voting by absentee. We were still in a COVID crisis, so there's a lot of senior citizen voters who just didn't do it. So with vilifying Georgia, asking for more votes, he says that leads to what we're looking at as an indictment this week. What are your thoughts? Every time they indict President Trump, his numbers improve. And you saw when news comes out on the Bidens, as it did back in March with the Alvin Bragg indictment, that then 
it is followed very quickly with an indictment of Donald Trump. And that pattern continued in June, in July, and I expect that there will be more news around Hunter Biden. And when that news drops, you're going to see another indictment of Donald Trump. I think that for that, you're basically out, uh, out of indictment possibilities, don't you think? I, I think that they probably are. President Trump continues to run strong. People in Tennessee are very supportive of him. They know that with President Trump in office, our allies knew that they were our friends. Our enemies feared us. They knew uh, that times were better. The Tax Cut and Jobs Act worked. They had more money in their pocketbook. They liked that. Their wages were improving. And right now they are suffering under Mm -hmm. Bidenomics. They are suffering with high inflation. Crime is rampant in our communities. The border is wide open. Human trafficking is becoming a crisis in this country. And people will come up to me, Brian, and they'll say, you know, Marsha, I can't believe how things have changed in the last two and a half years because they felt safer, happier, had more money, were able to buy a new car, and now they're looking at a government that is trying to control their life from daylight to dark. Right, and I think that might be the downtown's best sales tool, Joe Biden's performance. And that might be it. Also, for Joe Biden to say no comment on the Hawaii disaster. How sad. We're all praying for these families and these individuals in Hawaii that have lost Everything. He's not said a word about it and was it said is, no comment. I know. It is inexcusable. Senator Marsha Blackburn, always great to see you. Good to see Thanks you. Thanks for coming in the studio. All right, your turn next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. In fact, as it turned out, there was no crisis. The number of encounters with migrants at the southern border actually dropped by a third from about 7,100 per day in April to about 4,800 per day in June, the latest available data. Why did this happen? It seems that the Biden administration's plan worked. It put in place a series of measures designed to deal with the impending problem, chiefly a stiff penalty for crossing the border illegally, deportation, plus a five-year ban on any reentry, coupled with expanding ways to apply for legal asylum in the migrants' home country. It was a welcome case of well-designed policy making a difference. Yes, that is the great Joe Biden on immigration. Do you believe Fareed Zakaria would sold out? Sold his soul. Joe Biden, his policies on the border, by the way, we just found out it's back up to 5,700. They temporarily went down because they had a first step in the country apply for citizenship there on an app. These people were flying in anyway. Now the cartels have hacked into the app, and now they've signed out that people are just coming through our border anyway. Why does he not tell the whole story? Those cities are overrun, A to Z, and it's because of his lenient policies at the border. That's the story, Fareed. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Is it your position that Joe Biden was completely walled off from Hunter's business affairs? As you know, this is a focus in Congress. I understand. And my opinion doesn't matter. What matters is the facts and the evidence. Right. And the facts and the evidence that have been pursued by however many members of Congress and their staffs and media looking for any possible connection has shown time and time again it doesn't exist. If the most people that are criticizing the Biden family is, is that when the president calls his son every day and it goes on the speakerphone, he says hello to the people in the room. That is not an offense. That is nothing other than a loving father. At dinner, overseas, in Dubai, meeting in person at his favorite restaurant three separate times, former prime minister of Kazakhstan, the uh, oligarch from Kazakhstan, a Burisma executive, loves his son. Hey, son, you're in the area meeting with high, uh, high-powered people that could be millions of dollars for you. I'll come down and pretend not to know anything that's going on. Listen, I don't blame Abby Lowell. I mean, he's got a client there, and then that's that you got to spin that out. But I just thought it would be a better story than that. Did you? Here's more. Cut to five years, thorough investigation looking at the Chinese, the energy company, the other foreign businesses he did. That was not something that wasn't looked at. Think of it this way. What did this group of prosecutors, who are Republicans appointed by Donald Trump, what did they have as a motive to turn the other way to anything that they found that would have indicated wrongdoing against Hunter Biden? There was none. And that's what is missing in the equation. Mm -hmm. Everybody keeps yelling that this was some sort of deal that was too good. What's not too good, what it's about it is that it reflects the five-year investigation. And no one has come up with a reason why. Anybody who was on the prosecution team would have gone easy on Hunter Biden if any of that that you just set out had ever been the case. So what Margaret Brennan should have said right there is we've had whistleblowers on our network that says a different story, that David Weiss was not given carte blanche, that he could not. He tried to bring it to Los Angeles. He could not bring it to D.C. because they weren't allowed. He wanted to be a special prosecutor. They weren't given that status. These whistleblowers, two of them came forward and testified under oath in front of Congress. Now, she's such a good reporter. Why did she not bring that up and just say, well, the problem is, uh, Abby Lowell, that he did want to do it and he was pulled back. Why? And then maybe Abby Lowell would come back and say, well, he's a Repu- appointed by a Republican. There's no reason for him to do that. OK, fine. So you don't believe the whistleblowers. You believe they committed perjury and they put their whole careers on the line. Didn't get advanced. Don't get cases. Half uh, hated out by half the country. No longer anonymous in their life. I don't know if they got they don't. Nobody has a book deal. So that would have been the way Trump's attorneys would have been confronted and justifiably so. That's the difference. When you get him on, he just spoke without people saying, what about the whistleblowers? I think the whistleblowers are the MVP because they're IRS whistleblowers with no political affiliation and their stories were exactly the same. The notes were contemporaneous at the time. That's what blew this up because David Weiss looked like he was sitting on his hands for five years, came forward with a bad deal, and that's why the pressure got so great. Here's more from the attorney, cut three. I can assure you that five years Mm -hmm. concluded that the only two charges that made sense were two misdemeanors (laughs) for failing to file like millions of Americans do and a diverted gun charge for the 11 days that Hunter possessed a gun. Everything else had been thoroughly looked at. So is that possible that they're going to revisit it? Let me answer it one way. If the now special counsel decides 
not to go by the deal, yeah. then it will mean that he or they decided that something other than the facts and the law are coming into play. Well, Abby Lowell, could you please tell me about the investigation into the uh, Hunter Biden, Rosemont Seneca and his overseas business operations? Can you possibly tell me when Hunter Biden paid taxes on all these things ever? 20 million and going up. Could you tell me? Abby, have they looked in and asked Hunter for an explanation on why he needed all these shell companies and burner phones? Can you tell me that? You're willing to talk about how his dad just called in to check on his son at, uh, at the high point and pressure points of business dealings. But you can't tell me if they did any overseas investigation. I think that's pretty significant. Hey, Julie, listen on FM News Talk 97.1 in St. Louis. Thanks for calling. Hey there. Hey, I'm a lawyer. I've had many clients sign tolling agreements with federal agencies, and that stops the statute of limitations from running. That's what they need to do to Hunter Biden right now, because the gun charge statute is going to run in October. But that would be a way to freeze the field on all these charges and give a special counsel the time to do an investigation. But they appointed Weiss because they knew they couldn't appoint an independent person because that person would discover all the corruption with this investigation. So they, that's why they went with Weiss. Can you imagine? You mean they left him here? You mean they left him there because they didn't put exactly. him there? Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. They just changed the status. Right. I and mean, I think Republic. Yeah. Go but ahead. I just did not know anything about him. And they say that Trump necessarily, presidents don't necessarily know who you're putting in place. They usually pre, right. they usually go by the local you know, a recommendation, but everyone locally recommended would be Coons, the Democratic governor and this, you know, uh, and the senator. They're all Democrats. Right. And and he Weiss, obviously, you know, it's a club at DOJ. So there's so many anti-Trump people and I'm not a big Trump person myself. There's so many anti-Trump people that it, I'm sure it wasn't hard to get him firmly in the, you know, in the liberal court is my guess. Thanks so much. Julie. I also think, uh, all right. Oh, final gun? point. Go ahead. Yeah. The impeachment inquiry, we need to do it now and not sit back. Look what happened with January 6th. Republicans sat back for three years with no input. McCarthy pulled the Republicans off the committee. And look what they did. Even Liz Cheney said they wanted to keep the emphasis on Trump. So they ignored the part of, of January 6th that was the security failure and the, and the police failure. So we can't just sit back for three years, let them control narratives. And then try to clean up because by then people move on. People, a lot of people have even moved on from January 6th, even though the investigation was obviously corrupt and one-sided. And I do fault McCarthy for not trying to keep Republicans in the room. Look, you said they destroyed evidence. If McCarthy or or if Jordan or any Republican had gotten notice that they were going to destroy, they could have stopped that. But we were on the outside. So we need to be on the inside. Yeah. I, I, the decision not to put a Republican on there with any type of um, that wasn't anti-Trump. I don't know if they would have affected things and would have given them cover to say it was a legitimate uh, committee, especially if they didn't have any power. But they never got any real questions uh, that all the even the, the Trumpers that came forward. Bill was on WABC on Long Island. Hey, Bill. Hey, Brian. How you doing? You know, as a detective, I I was in organized crime control, and it's so easy to follow the money trail. I mean, just bring in a forensic accountant, trace all the money going through the LLCs. I mean, it's it's so easy to get down to the bottom of this. But I don't think Weiss or anybody else really wants to come down to the bottom of this. You know what I'm saying, Brian? You mean on the Democratic side, they want to get to the bottom of it? 
I think no, I don't think the Democrats want to get down to the bottom of it. And I don't think uh, Special Prosecutor Weiss now wants to get down to the bottom of this either. I think it's just a major cover-up. And I think the Republicans should come out and fight against this appointment of Weiss to, to investigate Hunter. I don't think it's a, a good idea. You know, I think it really shows that they're really looking to bury this. Well, it's going to delay it. We know that. And we know, too, that more more charges will evaporate. We know that for sure. And also, a lot of people just think they just go go after him now with an impeachment inquiry. I personally am not thrilled with the impeachment. It takes forever. We Both sides dig in. It distracts the entire country. It gets everybody madder. But I understand people are upset still about what happened with Trump and thought it was unnecessary. Here's Miranda Devine with Mark Levin last night. Cut 16. Remember, there's also a special counsel looking into the exact same uh, classified uh, information, alleged mishandling of Joe Biden, um, Robert Hur. We haven't heard a peep from him. And we do know from the expenditures that have been made public that he's spent, I think, less than a third of what Jack Smith has been spending. So we have, on the one hand, an aggressive killer uh, prosecutor whose history is littered with misconduct and over-prosecuting people and having his cases thrown out. And on the other hand, we have a pussycat. Miranda Devine. Uh, so that, that's what you have. Uh, Jack Smith, an animal who doesn't mind getting things get overturned, it doesn't matter. He's there to draw blood. And the way it's described to me is that when you assign a special prosecutor, their goal should be justice, not a conviction. And this guy just came in blowing up everybody in and around Trump's orbit, friends of Ed Corcoran, his attorney. And now he wants to rush and quickly get to trial. Now, if this judge is true to her word and says, I don't care about this political season or any election, then there's no reason to have a speedy trial if the defendant doesn't want it, especially because they're saying flat out, I need time with all these cases and with this case in particular to research it. What Preet uh, Bahara said is the way to get Trump's attention about him going out, blasting the judge, which he's done already today, and talking about evidence that they have against him and saying negative things about it, is to say, I will speed up the trial if you continue to do these things, which I thought was insane because I didn't think the one thing could be another. You'll speed up the trial. What does that have to do with it? But that's the one leverage you have over Trump because he does not want a quick trial. He wants to go win the presidency and then pardon himself. That's his goal. Hey, it would be my goal, too. I want you to hear, this is uh, Preet Pahara, the former U.S. attorney who Trump fired, cut 23. To me, the government in its application talked about the, the interest, the public interest in a speedy trial. And the speedy trial does not only benefit a defendant, it says it benefits the public. What is implied in that argument, that they didn't state explicitly, is, uh, I think is what they mean. If we don't have a speedy trial of Donald Trump, in other words, before the election, there may never be accountability for Donald Trump. There may never be justice because Donald Trump, if he gets reelected, has various means, including by way of self-pardon and by contro- <clears throat> controlling the Justice Department for him. Ne- and that Office of Legal Counsel opinion that says you can't prosecute a sitting president. If we don't get a trial, <clears throat> the government is implicitly saying before the election, there may never be one. So uh, let's see what happens. You have four separate trials. I mean, can you imagine? Do you think Trump's got momentum now? Can you imagine if he starts beating these stuff? You know, in the documents, there's a case to be made. You might think, well, he should never have taken the documents, fine. Uh, never should have protested like he did on January 6th. Never. But you have to understand, there's a legitimate defense. 
on all these things. It doesn't mean that he's, you know, he's crystal clean. But there's a legitimate defense, and I've heard attorneys argue it out, uh, and there's none that can't be challenged. So Jack Smith doesn't have a, have a layup anywhere. The one in D.C. looks troublesome, and I've asked this question over and over again. If the, if the judge has a record being anti-Trump, blowing up his decisions as president and prosecuting January 6th uh, rioters, and then Washington, D.C., where the president got 4% of the vote, if he does is found guilty there, no, and on then he appeals it immediately. Does he have to go to jail in between? And if he goes to jail in between, does that just pull him off the campaign trail? So his opponents don't have anyone to campaign against. Joe Biden has no reason to campaign. Period. And then we just wait it out. Crazy. When we come back. The Democrat that's speaking up and has got everybody in the White House nervous. We'll discuss it. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you went into a school 50 years ago, public school, private school, whatever, there was a sense that character formation was like our main job here. And I'm, I love quoting a, a guy who ran a school called the Stowe School. He said, we churn out men who are acceptable at a dance, but invaluable at a shipwreck. And what he meant by that was they're going to have some social polish, but when the chips are down, we've taught them how to show up in a time of crisis. And that's just, this is not highfalutin stuff. It's just what we're called upon to do when a friend of ours is hurting, to know how to show up, to know what to say, what not to say, how to build a friendship. Uh, And I think it's these elementary social skills that we don't teach as we do teach, how do I get into Harvard? And so our schools have shifted their focus from character formation is the most important thing to getting into Harvard is the most important thing. So that is uh, David Brooks. Who was he speaking to, Allison? He was on one of, you know, a different morning show this morning. Okay. <laughs> uh, so he wrote that book on morals. He is mm-hmm. a uh, so-called Republican who writes often to the New York Times, but he's not. He has gone more to the center. He is totally anti-Trump, no doubt about it. Um you know, he's one of these guys that leans right, but he's right for the New York Times. But this but, is actually sorry. This is just he just wrote a piece. It's um, he's also contributing something for the Atlantic. So this is how America got so mean. So that's what he was referring to specifically. Right, and also not only has America gotten mean, they say people are really getting worried about the extremist behavior. You know, they did a study. This guy Robert Pape uh, did a story, a study, and they talked about you know what's going on in this country right now with the anger. Do you know thirty percent? Thirty percent of respondents said that it would be okay to use violence to make sure Donald Trump is not elected. And 18% said it would be okay to use uh, violence to make sure Donald Trump returned to the White House. Isn't that crazy? It's a problem. And it goes to the, we're losing morals and like what it just means to be kind to one another. You can still disagree over policy without resorting to violence, right? But, But also it's so much easier to be a lunatic when you're not around people you know, you go out there, you protest, you meet people, you get people in your face. But when you sit at home and you do all types of things, plots and plans, and, and you don't really interact with people, which is also adding to something else that I found interesting. Uh, James Rosen, of all people, used to be at Fox, wrote about how the Republic, how the government now is attacking loneliness, that there's so many lonely people that are going to set up programs. But can a government really fight loneliness? I mean, how do you fight loneliness as a governor? as a president, as a senator. 
I would think you start at the local level and you try to do more programs that encourage people to get out, right? I guess more flea uh, flea markets, more sales, more bake-offs. They should go to more bookstores and they should buy some of your books and get joined book clubs. Right. Uh, Teddy and Booker T might be something to pre-order. Just get it out of the way right now. So that might be interesting. You're welcome for that plug. Yeah, you're right. That's good. one 866 A couple other things. Uh, I just wanted to bring up, and that is everybody was out in Iowa over the weekend. I thought it was really cool that Vivek Ramaswamy, the guy is a happy warrior. He, I thought he had the best response when, and I think it's a perfect way to handle Trump. If you want to run against him and beat him, this is how you do it. Cut 31. The reality is, somebody said I started at 0% in March. I corrected them. I started at 0.0% in March, and now I'm running at third in the Republican national primary ahead of the first debate on the same trajectory that Trump was in 2015. So, Maria, I expect to be the nominee. I expect to win this election in a landslide. But here's what I do want. I fully expect, I respect President Trump. I don't bash him because I think he was an excellent president. And we have a good relationship of mutual respect. I expect him to be an advisor, even a sort of mentor when I'm in the White House, teaching me where the bodies are buried, how to go further than he okay. went. That's my mission with our America First agenda, and that's the relationship I expect. How about that? So I'm running against him. I'm going to beat him, but I want him as an advisor. I'm younger. I feel like I could do better. And there's he, when he, he expands on it, he does say there's certain people that are just a very polarizing. We'll never vote for him. Therefore, I'm, I'm, I have a better chance at winning. And he talks about what he talks about. How do you feel about that as a strategy? I think Vivek has had very smooth answers to many things. I mean, he has he has a good answers. The thing is, you know, he hasn't he's run companies before, right? He's billionaire. Right. You could successful. say whatever you want. How can he? How will he perform when right. he's actually in office, or if he's ever in office? If he's ever in office. But you know, as interesting, James Carville said, uh, "I look at the right, and Vivek Ramaswamy is the only one with interesting ideas." So it's interesting. It's hard to dislike him. He's got a working class background. Uh, First-generation immigrant family, Brian Kilmichio, and a billionaire. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.